Lord, we thank you so much once again for your amazing word. That we pray that you will speak to us through them. We pray that you'll build us up into people who will glorify you in all things that we do. Um, and we pray as you hear about our ambitions, Lord, that you are sha- uh, you'll shape our ambitions so that it'll be uh, pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel like a halo has just come upon us. Um, well, we're going to continue our series on workplace and what it means to work as Christians. But... Um, I don't know about you, but I've uh, been. Wa- I, I love movies, and I love the postmodern storytelling for many different reasons. Um, but one of the reasons I really love is because it doesn't picture characters as good or evil people, just plain white good and plain white uh, evil uh, people. For example, Batman uh, is Batman because he. It tells us a little bit of the backstory. That it's a complicated story, isn't it? It's a. He's. Um, He's, he, he, he sees his parents be murdered right in front of his eyes, and that's why he becomes Batman. Spider-Man is another example. Spider-Man gets bitten. I mean, it's a freak accident, but the way that he becomes Spider-Man or how he acts as Spider-Man is because he, you know, that, that accident with his uncle, and, you know, uncle tells him with great powers comes great responsibility, and so he conducts himself with that sort of thing in, in, in his mind. And if you talked about why they do the things that they do, how, why they became Batman and Spider-Man, they would probably say, well, for all these things, but probably they would say, it's complicated. It's complicated. What's your motivation for working? For working? And many of you, why work so hard? Why work so hard? What drives your ambition? You might be able to give maybe a simple answer to that. Maybe it's security, comfort, or maybe it's God's glory. Um, but you might, if you really think about your motivations and why you became the way that you, that, that you are and why you work so hard the way that you do, you might actually look back and say, it's actually complicated. And I think that's actually what Jephthah would have said. It's complicated. I've referred to a couple of commentaries um, uh, as I was preparing for this sermon. I thought one commentary that I read said Jephthah is all good. He's a great person. He did many, many great things. And actually, he made this one mistake, but he was a great person. The other commentary I I read said that he's just all bad. There's nothing good about him. He does everything bad. But when I thought about him and his story, when you delve into the story, he's actually a a complicated character. His motivations are complicated. Just take a look at what the, the, the writer of Judges tell us in, from, from the very beginning, in verse 1. Verse 1, he says, the writer of Judges tell, says, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him a son, and when they were grown, uh, grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son, you're a son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Now, these details are not incidental. These are concise sentences that give us a lot of information about why Jephthah became Jephthah, how he became the way he he, he is. And we start with the agreement that everybody agreed that he was a great warrior, great, mighty warrior. Uh, But he was banished from Gilead, even though his father really was quintessential Gileadite, right? His father's name is Gilead. 
It's like you know, a person from Hong Kong named Hong Kong. I mean, he was that sort of father. Um, he was from Gilead. He was named Gilead. But his son is banished from Gilead, and the reason becomes very uh, clear very quickly. Though his father was a good citizen, he was a bastard child. His mother was a prostitute. And the, that fact might have been overlooked, um, overlooked, except Gilead's legitimate wife had other sons. And when they grew up, they drove Jephthah away because they didn't want to share their father's inheritance with him. So he was banished from his parents, his family, uh, his friends, and his tribe. And he was forced, he faced faced rejections and went to the land of Tob in the north of Gilead in a foreign land. And the NIV says he attracted a group of adventurers, but actually in the latest NIV, they correct that mistake in translation. They say um, in the new NIV, it'll say a gang of scoundrels. So he, bad, people of bad character joined, um, he attracted people of bad character around him. And it was that probably a longing for acceptance um, that gave birth to his ambition to make something of himself. He was a man with this gigantic chip upon his shoulders. And it becomes quite obvious when the Israelite elders come to him and ask him for help. They come because of his reputation as a mighty warrior. And they come because they're in trouble, because they're fighting the Ammonites, and they're encamped right there in Gilead, and they're they're losing this battle. And so they come to Jephthah and ask in verse 6, whether they could be his command, he could be their commander. And Jephthah understandably says, well, you've rejected me. Why should I help you? Why should I help you? Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? He says in verse 7. So elders first asked him to be a commander, and they upped the stake a bit in the next verse. They no longer um, say, ask Jephthah to be a commander only, but actually the head, the head, the ruler, the judge over them. So in verse 8, they say, come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you'll be a head over us who live in Gilead. So Jephthah is given a chance to be reinstated back to his tribe, Um, But not only that, but to prove himself as the leader, as the leader of Gilead, to be somebody, somebody in the community. So he asks, will I really be your head? So he asks the assuring questions, and the Israelites swear by God as their witness. And they go to Mitzpah, and they make this covenant before God. But actually, this wasn't about God. Right? It was never really about God from the very beginning. God is strangely absent from the story. They never go to God. They never plead with God. They never pray to God. God is a silent witness to this very human contract that they make. The elders of Israel need him. Jephthah need them, needs this opportunity to become the head. And it's... Uh, he goes ahead because he wants, he's, because he's ambitious, because he wants to be the head for many different reasons. 
And I want to make note of the fact that, once again, his parents are completely absent from this narrative. His parents are absent from this story. He's, they're mentioned in the very beginning. I mean, we, you don't hear ab- about his mother or his father anymore. When his brothers banish him, I kind of think, where was the father? What did he say? Right? Uh, where, 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 where is his mom? Or where, his, his parents are completely absent. They're a non-entity in Jephthah's life. And I don't think it's a big stretch from there to think, well, maybe he, had, he, he was thinking about his parents. Maybe he was thinking about his parents when he decided to be the head over Israel and say, you know, to, to be somebody to his parents, to, 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 to appear in their radar, to, for, to bring the parents back into his life. And I mention this because I think this is actually one of the reasons why a lot of Hong Kongers work so hard. Because of their parents, because of the expectations of the parents and the, what they say to the, to the kids. And as they grow up, they want to prove their parents right or they want to please their parents in many ways. And that's why uh, to, to become someone to their parents, I think that's actually a lot of reasons why, not, not just Hong Kongers actually, a lot of Asians and people all over the world work so hard. But there's also that ambition for him. I mean, I think it's greater than that. His, for Jephthah to become something, to make a name for himself, to achieve a social standing in the community, a person who's respected and known. And I'm sure many of you could identify with that too. I can. I have a friend who just finished writing a book and it'll be published soon and you know, uh, he's not a writer or an academic, and he spent all his time, his free time, writing this book. And uh, I asked him why, he, uh, how he was able to do this with his international travels, with his busy schedules, uh, keeping up with all the relationships. And his answer was, well, in some ways surprising, but not so surprising. He actually said, you, I want to leave a mark in this world. I want to leave a mark in this world, he said. But maybe your ambition's more simple than that. I mean, you think maybe it's just financial security, financial security. Having grown up as a pastor's kid, uh, for me, I've met any, many other pastor's kids, and you, um, I, I've, I've known a lot of pastor's kids who never want to be a pastor, <laughs> who never want to be a pastor's wife. Because one of the reasons is because the financial security wasn't there for them. I, my situation is very different. You treat me really well. Thank you very much. But... <laughs> Many people, um, as they grow up, they fi- face a lot of financial insecurity, and they think, I- I've known, I-, I-, you know, I went to Eton College with lots of uh, PKs and lots of Christians, and you know, some of my friends just would never think about becoming a pastor because they just grow- grew up poor, and they-, 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 they long for that financial security. Why do you work? It's probably complicated. Our past experiences, our parents, our present circumstances probably have a lot to do with it. Maybe God's glory. Maybe God's glory is in there as well. And I think it was in Jephthah. Um, we, didn't, we skipped a big section where he uh, talks to the Ammonites. There is a zeal for God's name for Jephthah there as well. Um, there certainly was that faith. That, that, that allowed him to face um, the, the, these overwhelming forces of the Ammonites, and which the book of Hebrews later on, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, celebrates Jephthah as one of the heroes of faith. But Jephthah is not a black and white character, black or white character like most of us. He's got a complicated past, complicated motivation, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But you see, we have to be aware 
we are fallen people. And we have to be aware of our past and we have to be aware of our motivation. We have to be sensitive to where we might, be, we, we might become blind by our ambition and by our flaws. Because when we don't, when we don't know these things, when we don't think about these things, we might be blinded um, at times, which is exactly what, what happens to Jephthah. So let's go on. Uh, in verses 12 to 28, Jephthah uses logic, persuasive speech, emotion, um, and clear arguments to refute the Ammonite king in their arguments. And clearly, Jephthah is a brilliant negotiator. In many ways, it becomes clear that God is using his checkered past. Maybe there was a reason why he was abandoned. There was a reason why he was banished. There was, it, God was preparing him for that moment, for him to be a, a mighty warrior, to raise him up as a judge. God surrounds him with people who could fight with him. These bad characters could be used. You see, God can use even your past, complicated motivations, complicated past, for his glory. Because God is gracious. God is that sort of God. God is powerful. God is gracious. And that should be an encouragement to all of us. The Bible's full of them. In this case, it was a child of a prostitute. But if you think about it, I mean, people, a person named Jacob, which means deceiver, he becomes a father of Israel. His name is changed to Israel. God uses Jacob. Even a murderer like Moses or Dave, adulterer like David. Terrorist like Paul. God will use us. God will use people, all sorts of people for his glory. Who Even people who have been shaped by all sorts of complicated past. God can and God will. But in the next part of the story, we see how sometimes, if, unless we're careful, and those things, the flaws in our character might blind us in our ambition. Because sometimes our greatest strengths are also greatest weaknesses. They're two sides of the same coin for many people. And Jephthah, it was the same. His greatest strength was his past, but his, that's, that was his weakness. And Jephthah and his army advanced from Gilead to Manasseh and Mitzpah toward the Ammonites. He makes this vow, the fatal vow in verse 30. He says, if you give the Ammonites into my hand, Whatever, whatever comes out of my house, I will give. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And it's true that um, at the time, uh, the, 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 the houses of this period contained uh, rooms for animals as well. So it might be that Jephthah was thinking about animals in his house. But at the very least, it was a very rash, not thought through vow. Right? Because when his daughter comes out, it was shocking. And there is a shock in this narrative. But it shouldn't have been shocking. I mean, he just said, whatever comes out to greet me. It's a very rash vow. Um, so it might simply have been a rash vow, but actually it might be something worse, some, something more sinister than that. Even though, I mean, Yahweh clearly forbade human sacrifice. Clearly. And it might be that Jephthah, thinks that, that Yahweh is actually like any other pagan gods. Because remember, Canaanite gods and other gods allowed sacrifice, and they wanted sacrifice. That was the highest form of sacrifice. And maybe he's equating Yahweh God with other gods of that time. And you can see that, actually, um, in verse 24. We didn't read this part. But he equates Yahweh God to other gods. 
He says that Yahweh God had given Gilead to Israel. But then he names Chemosh, the Moabite God, says, that, well, your God, Moabites, had given you your land. You see what he's doing? He's saying, well, your God gave you your land. My God has given us my land. Maybe we're all the same gods and we should just... He's equating Israel, God, Yahweh God, with other gods at this point. And maybe he thinks that maybe that human sacrifice is okay. That he is willing to give that even. And it's a, clearly he's ignorant of the Bible. Clearly he's blinded by his ambition. That he's willing to sacrifice things. He's, he's making immoral choices at the sacrifice of his ambition, at the altar of his ambition. And we, when we are blinded, for whatever you, you do, um, if you're blinded, when we're blinded by our ambition, we are susceptible to making rash, unthought-through, or, or, or immoral decisions. And often when we make these decisions, it's the innocent, innocent that suffer. In Jephthah's case, it was, it was, it was his poor, poor daughter. Her innocence repeat, underscored again and again in this story. She's a faithful woman who thinks that the vow that, that Jephthah made should be kept um, even if it costs her, uh, her life. She mourns for two months, and the writer says, uh, repeats again at the very end of the narrative that she's a virgin. And the reason why he repeats it is to say she's an innocent person. She's a person who has been undefiled. She's an innocent person who doesn't know life yet. And it's the innocent that suffer. And it's all the more heart-wrenching, really, because this vow was completely unnecessary. God was going to deliver the Israelites, not because of the vow that he makes, but because he loves his people. He raised judges again and again to, to save people out of the hands of the, uh, uh, of the pagans around them. But often ambition blinds us to the sacrifices that we make. And I wonder if you actually have thought about the sacrifices that you have made. What's being sacrificed even now? For your ambition. Are you even aware that you have made sacrifices? Let's take a rash decision that one might make. Blinded by ambition, we might quickly say yes, for example, to a promotion. Why wouldn't I take a promotion? If somebody gives me a promotion, why, why wouldn't I take it? Right? But I know that people here, when given the promotion, I mean, they have really thought about and prayed about their promotion to see if this is what, what they really want, uh, what God really wanted for them. And I've known people, uh, I've known a woman who's, uh, who's passed up her promotion at, at, as a hospital management many, many times because she, felt, she really strongly felt that she was called to do this many other things which uh, taking the promotion would not allow her to do. Making rash decisions. Are we thinking through the decisions that we make in our workplaces? Have we made immoral decisions along the way? For a student, it's cheating. I know cheating goes on rampantly, especially in Asia. For the goal of entering into better college, graduate school, all sorts of things, students might cheat. For working people, it might be lying, backstabbing, rumor, I mean, padding up your CV, all, all sorts of things there, immoral decisions. And most obvious, obviously, from this story and also the lives of the people in Hong Kong, it's the family. It's the family that gets sacrificed. Many say they're working very hard for the family while making that great sacrifice of not being with the family, not, be, not having time for the family. You know, Jephthah might have been thinking about his daughter, 
You know, if I become a great man, wouldn't I, wouldn't I be able to provide for my daughter? But at the end, it was the daughter that was sacrificed. Have you thought about ambition and the sacrifice that you're making to achieve it? The story is a sad story. It's a tragic story. But I don't want to end there. Jephthah was a person of his past. He was gripped by his past. His ambition was shaped by his past. That drove him forward to make rash and immoral decisions. Perhaps you also have a chip on your shoulders. We all have a past that has a grip on us. But one of the greatest gifts that Christ gives us is new life. Jesus told his disciples that you cannot, we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again, unless we receive a whole new life. We are a new creation. Actually, let's turn. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The famous passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through, 19, 17 through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Whatever our past, whatever our motivations, whatever our present, we are reminded that we are a new creation. We're not bound by the past in the same way that Jephthah was. Jephthah was rejected by parents, brothers, and sisters. He, he, he sought that sort of acceptance. But we do not need to strive for such acceptance, whether we have ex- experienced such rejections or not, since we are a new creation. We're people who have been unconditionally accepted and loved by God. If it's maybe sense of security that we're looking for in our job. We find perfect security in Christ, in his provisions. Remember what Jesus says, even the lilies of the field have dressed better than Solomon ever dressed. And God continues to show us that he is our father. If we want status, remember the story of the prodigal son, how the father removes the ring and gives it to the son. That's the status where we're given. We become the children of God himself. If you're looking for forgiveness and redemption, well, we find it in Christ. We find that our sins are washed clean. Our past, all the things that we have done in the past are washed clean. We're not a people who are trapped by our past. We're liberated from it and given, genuine, given a new future in Christ. In the New Testament, we find another person that I think is shaped by the past in, in, in many ways, who's gripped the, uh, by the past. And I think uh, it, it comes up uh, time to time, and this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Once again, if you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1.15. 1 Timothy chapter 1.15. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And this is what he writes. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You don't think Paul thought time to time about his past and what he had done? Like you and like me, I think many ways, he has confessed. 
he says to himself, man, I am, I've been so bad. Out of all the sinners, I must be the worst, of whom I am the worst. He stood by the stoning of Stephen. He approved that murder. He went out and actively terrorized and persecuted Christians. But he doesn't end there, right? He goes on in verse 16 and 17. This is what he continues to write there. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example to those who who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. You see, he sees his past in a very different light. He sees his past and he goes, how amazing is God that God could save a sinner like me? He is a sinner, in his opinion, the worst. But nonetheless, he sees himself as a saved sinner. And he says he's been saved so that he might glorify God through him. And this is just the beginning of the letter. This is in chapter 1. And, you know, when he thinks about the past, he bursts out in this doxology, in giving praise to God, not to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Paul's ambition was shaped by his past, but his past is now uh, he sees his past completely differently. He sees the past with the, 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 the glass of God's glory, uh, God's grace. Uh, once again, I want to just end with asking you to think about your motivations. Think about your motivations, why you work, why you do the things that you do. And there are many college students and young people here. Think about wh- what you want to do and why you want to do those things. Think about, think about the past. You might be, you, make sure that you're not blinded by them. Um, and think about the sacrifices that you might have to make when you take these jobs. Think about the sacrifices that you have made. And let's look back to our past and give all our baggage and all our burdens to him, to, to God, who, who, trans, who can transform our past and use it for his glory. And may once again, um, as we uh, talked about last week, may, may our, um, our work, all the things that we do, give praise and honor to God. Amen.